A few weeks ago, I finished uh, the, the book that the bumper video references. It's, it's a book called Invitation to Retreat. It's written by one of my, one of my favorite heroes, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, and she specializes in spiritual formation. And if you're like, what is that? Well, in Galatians, Paul says, live or walk in the spirit. And she says, let me tell you what that looks like. <clears throat> and I love the first line in the bumper video where her book, Invitation to Retreat, she says, we are like a jar of river water shaken up. Uh, you all look good today, okay? I think I look good. My, my, my shirt is ironed. I look presentable. Uh, but the reality is, the truth of that statement is that our inner life is like a jar of river water completely shaken up, where we don't sit still long enough for the water and the sand to separate and to be still, do we? Uh, we don't. Uh, last week I was on vacation and went old school, was on social media, not, not too much, I should say, uh, but, I, I, but I did a lot of reading, and I came across a book that I finally had the opportunity to read called Digital Minimalism. If you uh, have a smartphone, <laughs> if you are a principal, a, su a superintendent, a teacher, if you know someone who knows somebody who has a kid that goes to school, read this book, all right? especially if you're in education. This would be a great book for you to gather around uh, over the lunch hour this school year and read it. Uh, digital minimalism just seeks to ask the question, like when you approach technology, because America is statistically addicted to technology, uh, does it support your values? And uh, the book does a great job of asking the question, are we uh, preferring likes and notifications on phones versus seeing somebody over a cup of coffee and talking to them face to face. This is a book for everybody. Uh, I, I am not an expert in social media, uh, although after 10 years of doing student ministry, I've read enough books on this subject to know which is not worth spending money on, and this is worth spending money on. Uh, you won't find the author on social media because of, well, the book. Uh, but it is a book worth reading. If you are a parent, all right, next to the Bible, if I could be legalistic, I will take this moment to be legalistic. You need to read this book, okay? Uh, especially the chapter that says, Stop Liking Posts. I was like, what is that about? Uh, in the book, uh, Digital Minimalism, uh, he says, People born after 1995, do, so I'm 13 in 1995, different generation. Uh, <clears throat> people born after 1995, are the first group to enter the preteen years with access to smartphones, tablets, and persistent internet connectivity. Uh, my nephew, Shaw, turns nine uh, next month, and when he was born, uh, I told my brother, I said, your kid is like the first generation to grow up online from the hospital, because you already put a picture of him on your social media feed, to when he dies. And it was like this moment of like, an existential moment of like, wow, yes, we, we've shifted from living on the farm to dad going to the city during the Industrial Revolution to sell something because of TV. That, that's where the idea of um, first impressions matter, right? And then we shifted from the farm to living in the city to now we, we live online. We do almost everything online. 
Later in the book, he says, in 2015, a study done at Common Sense Media found that teenagers were consuming media. And this isn't a book, look, if you're a teenager, I'm for you, okay? It just feels heavy right now. Your parents are addicted too, all right? Tell them to read the book. Um, but a study done in 2015 said that students are basically on social media for nine hours a day. So mom and dad, when you come home during the summer and you ask kids what you've been up to all day, well, there it is. <coughs> A journalist from the New York Times Magazine uh, got together with students to kind of relay this information to see how they would respond to it. And uh, he said, anxious kids certainly existed before Instagram, but many of the parents I spoke to are worried that their kids about their kids' digital habits, the round-the-clock responding to text, posting to social media, obsessively following the filtered exploits of peers, were partly to br blame for their children's struggles. And he says this, to my surprise, anxious teenagers tended to agree. And sometimes I think we do that, right? Parents, adults, like, here are the facts. You should feel guilty. about. And, and, and students are like, yeah, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Uh, I sleep with my phone. Uh, I'm, my grades are dropping. If I take a photo and I don't get, you know, X amount of likes on Instagram within three to five, maybe seven minutes, maybe less, maybe more, I take it down. Yeah, sure. We live hurried, busied, tired lives. And this isn't just a reflection of teen culture. It's a reflection of adult culture. How many of you, all right, this is church, so we won't judge you. We'll judge somebody else. We're at a red light and you judge somebody because they were on their phone. They didn't go when it turned green. Okay. Yep. I'm guilty. Chief of sinners, right? This is, a, this is an everybody sort of a thing. I asked uh, permission to share this story and received it. There's a family that attends our church, and their social media policy is that there is none. Uh, there are no uh, phones or social media going on during dinner. And uh, a few weeks ago, they had some friends over, so their daughter <clears throat> left her phone in her room. They had dinner. The friends left. Uh, and it was about an hour or so interaction, and when she went to check her phone, she was in a group text message, or she's in a, look how old I am. She was in a group text, whatever they call it, with four of her friends, and she had a thousand text messages waiting for her. And then she's like, oh, let's see how long we can do this. <clears throat> a couple hours later, over 2,000. 36 hours later, 3,293 messages awaited her. It doesn't matter if you're an adolescent, you're an adult. That's a lot to process. But that's what social is. That's what busy, tired, hurried is. Culture wants our attention because where we give our attention to, we give our affection to. And so today we're going to talk about the way through retreat. Last weekend, we started section two. If you're new here, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. The first section is the way in. How do I get into the kingdom who is Jesus? Is he really God? What's the kingdom all about? And last week we talked about the way through. And we're, we're asking the question, how do I navigate my life through the kingdom of God? Now, if you are kind of new to church, you're like, what does that even mean? You probably have asked it this way. How am I going to get through life? <laughs> what, what does it look like to, to live a good life? Where at the end of my life, I could say, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all great, but it was really good. There was hard stuff, but then there was really, really good stuff. And so last weekend, we talked about the parable of the sower, which basically Jesus is saying, 
when somebody gives a teaching, kind of like in this context with a communicator, the teaching is going to everybody in the room. Now, if Jesus is telling the truth, what that means is there's people in this room that don't believe anything I'm saying. Okay? There's people in this room that believe everything I'm saying. And then there's people in between. And so the way through is really asking, like, what does it look like to have good soil? How do I, what do I need to practice and do, or be, I should say, that when I hear God's word preached, when I'm in a life group, when I'm having conversations with friends about God, or, or maybe, maybe I have a friend that's in a, is in a tough way, and I just need to be uh, loving and encouraging to them, what do I need to practice so I can be ready for that moment? How do I be offensive instead of defensive? Well, Jesus gives us this beautiful practice called retreating. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm not an expert in retreating. I never even heard about this practice until about three years ago. This is not Bible study. This is not vacation. This is not quiet time with God. This is not a mani-pedi day with your girlfriends, right, or boyfriend, whatever. Uh, but this is time away that you have with the Lord. You're not reachable, which is a gift <laughs> in retreating, not a gift that we would say probably is an American culture, but it's concentrated time away with Jesus. So this is how Jesus lays it out in Mark 6, 30-34. He says, uh, Mark says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So typical discipleship. You invest in someone, you encourage them to go and do it, come back, let's talk. So that's what the disciples are doing. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, which I can't identify with. I'm always thinking about food. They said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Jesus is talking and get some rest. So they went away uh, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw uh, them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the like all of the town. So Jesus' popularity is increasing. And got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Uh, the way of retreat is through invitation. The way of retreat is through invitation. In other words, you are invited in. You're invited in. N notice what happens in the first um, of paragraph of that passage we just read, right? Jesus is like the busiest guy on the planet. I mean, if you claim to be God, you better believe Fox and CNN are gunning for you, right? Who remembers the Father Day sermon? If you get caught, like, exercising demons out of people, <laughs> if you're turning water into wine, you're going to get some phone calls. And so at the height of Jesus' popularity, he's on the, probably almost the top of the, you know, every, everything in life has a cycle, a life cycle. He's probably almost at the top. And people know Jesus now. And people want their kids healed. People want money. People want to be taught. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus says, hey, hey guys, we need to go away. We are doing too much ministry right now. What? They didn't teach me that at Bible college. We need to go on break. We need to take a sabbatical, a little one, two-day sabbatical, and I need to pour into you. The way through retreating is through an invitation that Jesus gives us. 
uh, Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Invitation to Retreat, uh, talks about, which again, to be legalistic, you have to read that book this summer. It's beautiful, especially on the lake or the ocean. Are you kidding me? <coughs> she says this, I find a good invitation to be much more compelling than responsibility. Wait a minute. Let's unpack that. I find following Jesus as an invitation much more compelling than the religious religiousosity, I made that up, that uh, responsibility and the guilt trip that religion gives. Anybody identify with that? <laughs> like the way of invitation is into a journey with Jesus. It's not an invitation to obligation to uphold some sort of moral code or religion. Although we've made that, especially in America with Christianity, that Christianity is do this, this, and this, be a good Christian, whatever that means, and then you'll get into heaven. But the way of Jesus is through an invitation. She goes on to say, to be invited into something like that, that is right for me. So Jesus like wants to invite you to be with him, and he has something just for you. The, almost like the way when Mary busted out into song, when she found out that she was going to the chosen one to deliver the, the Messiah, like that was something just for her. And when we go on retreat, and I'll talk about this more in a few minutes, there are things waiting for us, gifts for us to receive from Jesus that are just for us, like just for me, that you don't get. <laughs> and there are things that he has to tell you that are just for you that I don't get. And you're under no obligation that when you come back from your retreat to share that with anybody. You can, but you don't have to. But then there's a second thing going on here. Because if you are not a Jesus follower today, uh, if you're watching online, you're like, that's why I'm watching online. I don't want to go to church. And you read this passage about the fact that Jesus is inviting us into a solitary place to be with him. Well, what about the people online or the people in the crowd that don't believe in Jesus? Does Jesus want to spend time with them? Or are you a project, like a lot of churches treat people? Or are you a person? Mm. Well, today you're going to get a gift because Mark's going to tell you how Jesus looks at you if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. In verse 33 through 34, Mark says, Many who saw them leaving recognized them, and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, notice this, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So there's two things going on in the Greek language. In, in the New Testament, uh, largely it's translated from, from Greek. And know, knowing the books, I don't know Greek well, but knowing where to find this stuff, it's, like, it's a difference between watching a show in color or black and white. <coughs> it just makes the text come alive. And so when Jesus looks at this massive crowd, there's two things happening in the original, one masculine and one feminine. The first thing is that the, the masculine phrase here is that from, when he looks out at the crowd, so, so if I'm Jesus looking out at you, he feels busted up inside about you. Like, like, you know, like a bad Chinese food decision where your stomach is tied in knots, like that, right? Yeah. Why? Because you've not been led well. Hello. That would make some Pharisees upset. And pastors, too. Yep, you've not been led well. 
And maybe that's why you're here today. Because when you went to church a day ago, a week ago, 20 years ago, it wasn't relevant to you. Sit up, stand down, sing this, you know, shut up, fall in line, do this, do that, and see you next Sunday. See, the religious leaders in the first century were called Pharisees. And if Pharisees would have done their job by pointing people to Jesus, (laughs) here's an exponential leadership lesson for free, okay? Uh, That if the Pharisees would have done their job and said, oh, the Old Testament is about Jesus, let me help you follow Jesus, they would have taken care of like 95% of the pastoral load that now Jesus has to deal with. Because these are people that have not been led well. I, let me just, I'll just say this, okay? This, you know, this is a great building, a great location. Jesus could care less about your buildings and your location. If you are not being led well, he will remove people from your church so that he can have his sheep being led well by a good shepherd. It just is, it is what it is. Like, you can spend a million dollars on lights and fog machines or not. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, are people being led well, not to morality, but to following Jesus? He's busted up inside because the answer is, with this crowd, no, you have not been led well. You have church, a church phrase would be like, you've not been discipled. You don't know how to follow Jesus. You don't know how to read your Bible. You don't know how to pray. You don't value giving. You're not serving in any capacity at RCC. And he's not mad at you. He's angry at the leaders. So he'd be angry at me, our elders, our staff, our life group leaders, our ministry leaders, because these are people that want Jesus but have not been led well. Secondly, when he looks at you, The feminine side of the Greek language is that he's filled with compassion. And the word compassion gives us a visual image of how a woman feels towards her child during her pregnancy, right? Moms, when you would rub your belly in the mornings and sing to your child and talk to your child and anticipating what the birth would be like, that's what how Jesus feels towards you. He's anticipating. He, know, he knows who he is. And so he's anticipating, man, if this person would cross the line and follow me and experience new birth, man, I have so much in store for them. <laughs> so much in store for them. And so, yeah, if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, guess what? You're invited in because Jesus is busted up over you because you've not been led well. He's busted up over you. He's filled with compassion towards you like a mother to her unborn child because he knows how to love you, how to nurture you, how to take care of you. I mean, Jesus was a dude's dude. But he valued things that, for whatever reason, men in our culture don't value. And he knew, he knows how to nurture you and how to grow you. And because he knows you, you're invited to go on retreat. You're invited in to ask your questions, to doubt, to believe, to be affirmed, to question. But you got to go there. The way of retreat is actually a physical location. This is not, this is not theoretical, and sometimes preachers are guilty of being theoretical and sounding good, but not really being helpful. The way you have to go, Jesus says in Mark 6.31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. Like, you think about that, right? Like, most of us, a lot of us, especially in our American culture, okay, Jesus says, come with him. What do I need? 
right? Do I need an iPad, an iPhone, a Bible, a pen, paper? What, 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 do, I, what do I need? And Jesus says, just bring yourself. Come. You know, yeah, bring your Bible. Bring a pen, bring a piece of paper. But I want you. And I, th- I think one of the things, and there are many, I'm sure, one of the things I think Jesus is trying to uh, teach his disciples and, and us as well is to value the presence of Jesus as his presence. Like we would actually hunger for his presence. That, that we would look forward to getting away from our regular routine just to be in the midst of Jesus' presence. Which is not really progressive. There's not a lot of te- technology with that, right? There's a lot of scariness. We'll talk about that more next week with silence and prayer and solitude. There's a, there's a lot of questions about that, but I think Jesus is really trying to teach us that we need to treasure being in his presence and that he wants us to be in his presence. And he's okay if you're not following him yet. Like, I don't think that really throws him off. He probably knew that before he invited you. And yet he still invites you in. He still invites you to go on retreat with him. And when Mark talks about a quiet place, he's, talking, he's not talking about like Starbucks at 2 p.m. when no one's there. He's talking about a solitary place. He's talking about, to use Old Testament language, a wilderness place where you wrestle with the Lord. Right? I don't think American Christians really wrestle with the Lord a lot. And the reason why I think that is because we think we have to have all of our questions answered. And I think Jesus is more interested, especially on retreat, showing us how to live with our questions, even if they don't get answered. And, and being okay with that, because the wilderness is the tension of your busy life and your future, and he waiting, he waiting on you in the middle of that. It's a gray space, I'll admit. Right? It, it, if you don't like gray things, if you're a judger, you think more black and white, this could be difficult for you. But he has so much for you that he wants you to go to a place where you will not be distracted. There's a quote in that book I mentioned about digital minimalism. Uh, he quotes some philosopher or teacher, and the quote is simply this, I've been reachable for far too long. I think you and I have been within reach far too long. And like social media and like your friends and like your boss, <laughs> Jesus wants your attention. He wants you to be healthy. He wants to grow you. But you physically have to go there. And so let me, let me, let me cause some, some tension in your soul if I can do that. Uh, I might resolve it later. I don't, I don't know. I'm not you. But here are some reasons why we avoid going on retreat or retreating. We function out of oughts and shoulds. So like religion is this like thing uh, that we have to do or God will do something. We find it difficult and even humiliating to receive help from others. Like I just think about the times where I've been in a life group, and I'm sure you've been in a life group where somebody's really struggled, and it was after the fact they brought it up in life group. And you're like, I wish you would have told us. We would have we come alongside you, especially men. Like, we think that as men, like, it's weak to ask for help. And Jesus played to his weaknesses all the time. He let 12 dudes run the show. <laughs> and he's God in the flesh. And I, I just, 
I don't know why we don't ask for help. I don't know why I don't ask for help. Just to call myself out through my own sermon. I struggle with it too. We prefer living as human beings versus uh, human doings instead of human beings. Right? We get a lot of accolades. We get a lot of standing ovations when we do stuff and accomplish stuff. And yet Jesus created us to be human beings and not human doings. Your worth is not in what you do. It's in who you are. It's not a, it's not a work-related thing. It's an identity-related thing. We don't process our disappointment well, right? Like we're ticked off at a church or a, a pastor or the way your kid was treated on the ball field or whatever, like you're done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, I'm done. And we don't have a place to go and say, God, I am disappointed in my church for these reasons. God, I'm disappointed in my marriage for these reasons. Like that has to be a value for us. We have to know that it's okay that in the presence of Jesus, we can express our disappointments. Uh, we are carrying a great, man, this is so true. We're carrying the great burden of unhealed wounds, sadness, unresolved tension, toxicity in one or more of our relationships. It is true, a room this size, that there are things that have been done to you that you've not resolved, like professionally and counseling as well as spiritually with, with Jesus. And, and it affects your, your, your spiritual walk in your life. And, and the way we like to say it in passive-aggressive America is like, oh, that's Ben. He'll always, that's just Ben being Ben. And Jesus is like, hold up. You don't get a pass. No, that's Ben being immature and underdeveloped. Ben needs to get away with me. And we can talk about that immaturity. We can talk about that underdeveloped uh, heart, that underdeveloped behavior, the reason, the propensity in which he lives his life. Do you track what I'm saying? It's so, that's why retreat is so beautiful. We also have information overload. We oh man, this is, oh man, I need to stop here. We fight realities that are not ours to fight. Come on. We suffer from FOMO. If you don't know what that is, it's fear of missing out. Like if I go on retreat, like what am I going to miss at home? I don't know, probably a lot, but it's not as important as being with Jesus. We're wired in our own willfulness. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, this is a text that, man, I wish I knew in Bible college. I think every, every Christian needs to wrestle with this. In Isaiah 30, <laughs> oh man, God, God is going to drop the hammer, right? Like when your dad was coming home and you'd run to not see him, this, this is what's going to happen, okay? Um, God is love, but God is also just. So God comes home and says, woe to my obstinate children. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been on a, like a uh, like baseball field and you're like, I'm sorry, my kid's rebellious. He's, he's at that age. That's what God's saying about us. Like, my kids, man, they just, sometimes they just do whatever they want. They never listen to me, right? So if you are raising disobedient children, you are like God, <laughs> right? You can resonate with your father. Woe to my crazy kids, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. They just do whatever they want. They run their church however they want. They run their lives however they want. Oh, man, this is so scary. Forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. Like, they get in these huddles. Like, we're going to do uh, church this way or life this way, or we're going to make this big family decision as a family and never consult with the Lord. And here's what happens when we do that. We heap sin upon sin on our lives. What? 
I thought it was good to be assertive. I thought it was good to go get what we wanted. The Lord says, be careful. If you don't consult me and you live your life driving 80 in a residential, you're going to blow up your life more than you thought you would. And then he says this. Let me tell you how my kids live, <laughs> which this won't mean anything to you, but I'll explain in a second. They go down to Egypt without even consulting me. Like, they want their own leader. They want their own pharaoh. They want their own president. They want their own dictator, right? They, they want to claim allegiance to a country and not the kingdom of God. So they want to be like other countries. They look for help to pharaoh's protection. They look for government agencies, presidents, kings, warriors to help them through their stubbornness. And they expect the shade, Egypt's shade for refuge. They expect... They expect other physical outside sources to bring them protection. But Pharaoh's protection will be your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. This is a really tough part, friends. They say, you're having you know, a Diet Coke with God at the soccer field. He says, let me tell you what my kids say to me. See no more visions. And the prophets, tell the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Yeah, don't tell, like tell, somebody tell on a comment card after this, passive aggressively, tell Pastor Ben to start, stop telling us what to do and to follow Jesus. Tell us pleasant things. Prosify, prophecy, I messed it up the first service. Illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path. Here it is, church. These are God's kids. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. A uh, simple way to understand that. Stop telling us to follow Jesus. This is what happens when we don't go on retreat. Again, I never knew of this concept until three years ago, so I'm new to this, okay? This is what God wants for us, not from us. Notice how uh, the Lord ends Psalm th or Isaiah 30. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But my kids will have nothing to do with it. In repentance and rest is our salvation. So if we're not repenting, if we're not resting, and if we're not quiet and we're not trusting, we won't cherish our salvation the way Jesus wants us to. He goes on to say, You said no one will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee, you said. You will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. Yet the Lord, long, look, this is, it's go, going back to Mark 6 and Jesus' compassion. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Even in your own <laughs> defiant rebellion, God says, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad that loves his kids. And for the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. One of my favorite pastors in Colorado, uh, he's since retired, Alan Algram, said this, heart work is hard work. It is, and Jesus knows that it is. And even in the midst of his busy, hurried life, the disciples were like a jar of river water, completely shaken up. It says, guys, I need you to come away with me. We need to go on retreat. And so I want to close by giving you what I hope is helpful, tangible 
next steps to take. And I'm, I'm like dead serious about this, <laughs> to, to go on retreat, okay? You have permission to tell your spouse, I'm going to be with Jesus. You got the kids, tag your it, okay? Maybe not that way. But the way of retreat requires a plan. So let me give you some helpful things to think through. Schedule, right? If it doesn't, my life, if it's not on the calendar, it's not getting done. Schedule quarterly retreats or biannual retreats. Uh, decide who's going to watch the kids' house or the responsibilities. Allow 8 to 12 hours or one overnight stay at an Airbnb campsite, depending on what you're into, uh, or uh, any place where you know that you can be alone. Uh, confirm, this is important, confirm that there is a way to be reached. <laughs> In case of a family emergency, bring limited to no cell phone devices. Obviously, I'm not crazy. Uh, if you have to bring a phone, bring one. But if you can leave one at home, that would be great. <coughs> Especially if you have an Apple Watch, you know, you could use that. Begin your retreat with a nap. Can I get an amen? <coughs> Is anybody alive today? Can I get an amen? Yeah. I just told you to sleep in church, right? No? Come on, guys. We need to improve the coffee. Uh, number seven, wake up to what you want to discuss with Jesus. The reason why you need to take a nap is because you will be prone to get there, especially if you're type A driven, to start the retreat with your own agenda. You need to let your body, which is part of your spiritual development, to relax and decompress. Wake up to what you want to discuss with Jesus. Leave, the room, leave room for walks, playing, which is something we need to talk about more in our faith, and exploring and being still. And then upon returning, tell your friends and family, or don't tell them. It's up to you. Mary had that treasure in her heart that she was the one to give birth to Jesus. And there are treasures the Lord has for you. And if you want to share those with other people, great. If you don't want to, that, that's completely, completely up to you. Man, I, <laughs> this is something I want so bad for you. And, and what a beautiful place to live in New England where your pastor says, hey, four times a year, you need to take a Friday night to a Saturday afternoon and get away uh, to be with Jesus. So let me close with a prayer of invitation, and we'll sing our song for this series, Not in a Hurry. God of life, help me to find moments and places where I can withdraw in order to draw closer to the heart of Jesus. Stir my heart with love for you, that I might yearn more deeply for your presence and for the words of eternal life. May this desert purify me of all the distractions, all that distracts me from the building of your kingdom. Ignite my heart with the desire to encounter Jesus and to share fruitfulness of that experience with the rest of the world. Amen.